Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Ethel, Episode 11 It was some days before Ethel's prayers seemed to be answered, or the kind plans of Mrs. Keith and her mother could be carried out. For the children were forbidden to go over there. They were permitted to be out for only a short time each day for exercise, and were under strict orders to keep to the side of the parsonage grounds farthest from Mr. Keith's, though no reason was assigned. But at last it having occurred to Mrs. Coote that the very fact of the children being so suddenly and entirely deprived of the privilege of paying frequent visits to the home of little Mary, their favorite resort, would tend to confirm any evil report that might have reached the Keats. She gave them leave one afternoon to go over there for an hour or two, a permission of which they promptly availed themselves. They received a hearty welcome from both the ladies, and little Mary, accompanied with kind inquiries in regard to their health and why they had stayed away so long. We weren't allowed to come, replied Harry. They ordered us to stay over there in their yard ever since that horrid man gave me such an awful beating for just nothing at all except that I couldn't study. T'was so hot, you know, and I wanted to be outdoors under the trees. "'Ah, uh, you were lazy, were you, Harry?' said Mrs. Weston, with difficulty repressing an inclination to smile. "'Yes, ma'am, I suppose so,' returned the little lad. "'But boys can't help that sometimes, when it's warm, and they're tired of lessons, and the birds are singing, and the bees humming, and all the little creatures outdoors having such a good time. "'Ah, but the bees are gathering honey, and the birds building their nests.' Hatching their eggs or rearing their young, they catch worms and insects for them to eat, don't you know? I think all the creatures God has made have something to do, but they don't work all the time, do they? He queried. And oughtn't boys to have some to, time to play? Oh, yes, indeed. Sometime after the lessons have been relearned and recited. "'Well, I believe I'll go and play now with the girls out there under the trees,' he said, and ran out whistling and laughing. But Ethel lingered behind. She had brought no work with her, but seemed inclined to stay with the ladies. "'Sit down in this low rocking chair, dear, and tell us what you have been doing with yourself for the last week or two. Then you have in to see us,' said Mrs. Keith in a kindly, caressing tone. Oh, thank you, ma'am. I have wanted to come over here so badly, but it is just as Harry said. We weren't permitted, said Ethel, taking the offered chair. Mrs. Coote always ordered us to stay on the other side of the garden. She didn't say why, and we are never allowed to ask that question. And that has been ever since the day we heard such dreadful screams from Harry and saw people running to the parsonage door and windows to find out what ailed him, said Mrs. Keith. We were told that Mr. Coote was beating him, and it seems it was true. Yes, ma'am, replied Ethel, tears springing to her eyes. Oh, I thought he was just killing him, and for next to nothing. He's such a little fellow, and wanted to play when he was told to study his lesson. It was hot and close in the house, you know, and looked so pleasant out of doors. Yes, 
the little fellow ought to have attended better to his work, it is true, and taken his recreation when school hours were over, said Mrs. Keith. But I cannot think he deserved treatment so severe as was given him, and if I were in your place, Ethel, I should write to my uncles and tell them all the facts. I think they would manage in some way to prevent a repetition of such severe punishment. Yes, ma'am, I have been wanting to write to my uncles and tell them everything about it, but I couldn't because I have no pen, ink, or paper, no postage stamp, no money to buy anything with, and even if I had, I wouldn't be permitted to send a letter without Mr. and Mrs. Coote reading it first. And if they found out I'd written all that to my uncles, they'd whip me for doing it and tear my letter up instead of sending it, or maybe put it in the fire. Well, dear child, if you want to write such a letter, I will furnish you now with all the materials needed and mail it for you when it is done, because your uncles ought to be informed of the cruel treatment received by their nephew and nieces. Mrs. Keith rose as she spoke, opened her writing desk, took from it pen, paper, and stamped envelope, and made Ethel seat herself at the table. Ethel's eyes sparkled. She took from her pocket the envelope containing the address of the Eldon brothers, and was about to seat herself before the desk, but a sudden thought seemed to strike her. Oh, Mrs. Keith, she exclaimed, I can't write fast, and I'm ever so afraid that Mrs. Coote will call us to come home before I could possibly get the letter done. Well then, suppose I write it at your dictation, and you sign it when finished, said the lady. Ethel gave a joyful assent, dictated quite rapidly, telling of Harry's sore punishment for his slight fault, and the severity to which they were all subjected, more or less, and begging that they might be taken from the care of those who treated them so ill, adding that she was almost sure Harry would be a good boy if he were with someone who would be kind and patient with him, but Mr. Coote was never that. There, I believe that is all I need to say, Mrs. Keith, concluded the little girl. Well, dear child, said Mrs. Keith, suppose you sit down here and add in your own handwriting that this has been written at your dictation and sign your name to it. Ethel did so. Mrs. Keith directed an envelope, enclosed the letter in it, and sent it by a trusty messenger directly to the post office. Oh, asked Ethel, do you think Mrs. Weston and Mrs. Keith that my uncles can be angry with me for doing this? No, dear. I am very sure they would never be willing to have their brother's orphan children so ill-treated, said Mrs. Weston, and I think they will not let many days pass before they come to see about it. Mrs. Keith expressed the same opinion, and the little girl gave a sigh of relief. Then her face clouded. But, oh, I shall be so sorry to go away where I can never see you, dear ladies, she exclaimed, looking lovingly into their faces while tears gathered in her eyes. Or little Mary again? Don't worry about that, dear child, said Mrs. Keith kindly. We are not so very far from Philadelphia, and I think your uncles will let you come sometimes to see us. That comforted Ethel, and she grew quite cheerful. The Eldon brothers entered their office together the next morning, and as usual found a pile of letters, brought by the early mail, awaiting them. Ah, where does this come from, I wonder, remarked Mr. George, taking up one directed in a delicate female hand. He broke the seal and glanced over the contents. Ah, he exclaimed, a postscript 
signed by our little niece Ethel. The letter was written by her dictation, she says, because she cannot write very fast, and every word in it is true. Dear, dear, what a wretch is that coot! Then he read the missive aloud to his brother. The scoundrel, the unfilling man, exclaimed Mr. Albert in hot indignation. He shall not be allowed another opportunity to abuse those poor little ones. I'll go for them at once and have them safe in my own house before night. I shall take them out of his clutches without a moment's delay. He drew out his watch as he spoke, and glancing at it, there is barely more than time for me to catch the first train, he said, but I need no preparation, except some money, I presume, said his brother, handing him a roll of bank bills which he had just taken from the safe. Ah, yes, that is very essential, he returned, pocketing them and taking up his hat. Goodbye. You may look for my return this afternoon with the four children. Yes, I hope so, said his brother, and in the meantime I shall do what I can to prepare our wives to receive the poor little things and give them a kind and cordial welcome. Ethel and her little brother and sisters had just finished their dinner when the doorbell rang and their uncle Albert's voice was heard in the hall asking for them. Ethel's heart beat fast with mingled hope and fear. Had he come in response? And if so, was it in anger toward her oppressors? Her eyes turned inquiringly upon the face of Mrs. Coote, where she read both surprise and suppressed wrath. Is this some of your doing? she muttered menacingly. But before the frightened child could reply, the door opened and Mr. Coote put in his head, saying, Mr. Eldon is here asking to see the children. Let them come right in. No help for it. Sarah, he added in a lower tone and with a look of suppressed anger and apprehension. I can't say yet whether it's any tell-telling that's brought him, but if that's the case, somebody'll have to suffer for it. And he too looked menacingly at poor, trembling little Ethel. There then, go along, all o you, said Mrs. Coote, who had just finished wiping their hands and faces, and mind what you say and do, or you may get yourselves into trouble. Then Ethel spoke up bravely. Don't be afraid, Nan, for the little one looks sadly frightened and ready to cry. We needn't anyone of us be afraid of our own dear kind Uncle Albert. And with that they all hastened into his presence. He received them most affectionately, hugging and kissing them in turn. I have come to take you home with me, he said, and we will start just as soon as you and your luggage can be got ready. You may go and pack all your belongings, for you shall never spend another night in this house. Then turning to Coot, and you, sir, may be thankful that after your brutal treatment of my little nephew, I allow you to escape with no greater punishment than, uh, than the loss of the salary that is due you for the care, such care as it has been too, of these poor little helpless children, my deceased brother's orphans. My blood boils with indignation when I think of it, and I feel that it would be a satisfaction to thrash you within an inch of your life. But I have decided simply to take the children where it will be out of your power to torment and ill-use them as you have been doing, leaving your punishment to him who has said, Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless children, if thou afflict them in any wise, and they cry at all unto me, I will surely their cry, and my wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with the sword. 
I wonder you are not afraid of God's judgments lighting upon you, for in His word He is called the Deliverer of the fatherless, their judge, their helper, and their father. And you who profess to be His minister ought to be well acquainted with His word. And you who are only a layman should not dare to so accuse and abuse me, one of the clergy, exclaimed Coot wrathfully, yet paling visibly as he spoke. Pray, sir, what proof can you bring of your insulting accusations, which I declare to be false? For I have, according to promise, treated these ill-behaved, rebellious children with all the lenity and fatherly kindness I should have. They've been my own offspring. The children were still lingering in the room, listening in round-eyed wonder to the strange and excited colloquy between the two men. Ethel, dear child, said her uncle, turning to her, do not fear to speak out and tell me in, their, in the presence of this man how he has beaten and abused you all, particularly your brother. You are going to take us away, uncle, she asked with a timid glance at the wrathful countenance of Coot. Yes, at once, so that he will never again have an opportunity to ill-use any one of you. He has been very cruel to us, uncle, Ethel said in reply, to poor Harry most of all. I'm afraid he would have killed him that last time if the people hadn't come to the doors and windows and made him stop. Poor Harry could hardly walk for days afterward, she added with a burst of sobs and tears. Yes, uncle, he most killed me, and I've got some of the marks on me yet, said Harry, pulling up his coat sleeve and displaying some marks on his arm. Guess he would have killed me if folks hadn't come and stopped him. But I'm going to pay him back well when I'm big man. a big man. I'll just thrash him till he can't stand. I think you'll forget about the smart, and be willing to forgive him before that, returned Mr. Eldon, with a half-smile, drawing the little fellow to him and smoothing his hair caressingly. Coot was striding angrily to and fro across the floor, clenching his fists, grinding his teeth, and scowling at the little group as though fairly aching to knock them all down. Mrs. Coot was not there. She had lingered but a moment in the hall, then having heard the announcement of Mr. Eldon that he had come to take the children away, had hastened to their room and set to work with much energy and dispatch to gather together and pack up all that belonged to them. There now, my dears, go and get ready for your journey, said Mr. Eldon, releasing Harry from his embrace and smiling kindly upon all four. Gather up all your possessions, at least all that you care to keep. No doubt Mrs. Coot will help you with the work, and as soon as you are ready, we will start for the station. Then, noting the look of apprehension on each young face, he said, Harry and Annette may as well stay here with me, so many of you would it be only be in Mrs. Coot's way, and their hats and coats can be put on here. But they don't look so very well dressed, Uncle, said Ethel hesitatingly, and wouldn't you like them to have their best clothes on? Ah, oh, yes, that is well thought of, he replied. Well, get them ready first, and send them down here to me, then follow as soon as you, you and the trunk are ready. And at that, all four hurried obediently from the parlor and up to the room, in which most of their time had been passed since their coming to the house. Mrs. Coot was there, down on her knees, packing their trunk with great expedition. She turned her head and looked grimly at them as they entered. Somebody's been telling tales, I reckon, she remarked gruffly. Well, it'll rid me of a good deal of care and bother. I shall breathe freer when you're going, for you've been no end of trouble. I'm sorry if we have, ma'am, said Ethel. I've really tried to be good and helpful. 
Yes, you have, Ethel, and I've been fonder of you than I ever thought to be of any child, returned Mrs. Coote, her voice softening. But I've got to give you up now, and there's no use fretting. There, children, I've laid out all your best clothes on the bed. Get into them as fast as you can while I finish packing your trunk. They made haste to obey, Ethel and Blanche helping the younger two, and in a very short time they and their trunk were ready. In the meantime, Mr. Eldon had settled with Mr. Coote in full, for all that was owing on the children's account. A carriage was waiting at the gate, and the moment they appeared for their journey, he rose, told them to say goodbye, then took his leave, leading Nanette while the other three followed. Mrs. Weston, Mrs. Keith, and little Mary were out on their own porch, watching with interest what was going on next door, fearing they were about to lose their little friends. "'Oh!' cried Blanche. "'There are our friends who have been so good to us, and whom we love dearly. Uncle Albert, mayn't we run over and say good-bye to them before we go?' "'Yes, certainly,' he said. "'I will go, too, and thank them for helping Ethel to send me word that you were not well treated or happy here.' It had been a hasty farewell, as it was near train time, and some tears were shed, but Mr. Eldon tried to comfort them all, with the hope that the separation need not be for so very long, inviting the ladies and little Mary to visit his nephew and nieces at his house, and promising some day to bring Ethel, Blanche, Harry, and Nanette to see them. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. <laughs>